Let's do that hockey. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode on the podcast. And we're going to introduce right out of the, the, the gate. We're going to start with the podcast new name. Victor and I spent hours and hours and exchanged a few thousand emails going back and forth with name suggestions. We threw it out to the listeners and got some input from you guys. So there were some pretty clever names in there as well that uh, we threw about and went back and forth with. But we've decided to come down to the, the final decision. But the new name of the show is going to be Dauber Prospects Report. Quite different from the original name of Dauber Prospects Radio. We're switching out the radio for reports because it's not a radio show, it's a podcast, and we're reporting on prospects. So we thought that was a suitable name. I like it. I like it. It We don't have to change the letter. <laughs> uh, it makes it makes it easy. And yeah, that's what we're doing. We're, we're reporting on the prospects and we got to keep the Dauber name in there, right? I mean, he's kind of the one who started it all. And so got to give some homage there. It's how we're known. And so, yeah. What about you? Uh, you, you? You happy with it, Pete? I am. I'm really happy because it means I don't have to change the Twitter handle. BPR underscore show, the Twitter handle for the podcast, doesn't need to change. And you know, the less technical work I have to do, the happier everybody is because I'm not very good at it. So that's a win. That was the real motivation for me. All right. So let's let's move on with, with some prospect reports. And let's talk about the U18 tournament that just went down. Another great tournament. I love how the draft calendar is bookended with, with two international tournaments, starting with the Halinka I guess the Helinka Gretzky. I don't know why they just didn't leave it with Helinka. And then wrapping up with, with the U18s. Your scouts have a year to watch the draft eligible prospects, starting with an international tournament that kicks it off. And then pretty much the year ends with, with the U18. There's a few playoff games going on in the CHL and whatnot, but the U18s is the big one. So it's a huge tournament. Lots of eyes on the on the tournament, scouts and, and fantasy scouts alike. And it's the player's last kick at the can to make a big impression for their draft stock. So let's get right into it, Victor. We've got the best person we could have, I think, to to talk about it. And that is the Dauber Prospects Director of Scouting for our, our draft analyst team, Sebastian High. Uh, Sebastian, high time we got you on the podcast, I'd say. Yeah, I'm very happy to be on. So thank you for inviting me. All right. So, Victor, why don't you lead it off and get some prospect reports going? For sure. Yeah. So we're going to do this in the order that the teams finished. So some teams had a lot of great prospects to talk about. Some had not as many. So we're not going to talk much about the lesser teams, but they are still had a couple with some good, good prospects on it. And the first one, we're going to talk about the, the main guy from Finland, and that is Kasper Haltonen. And Finland, I'll just mention where each team, what happened with, with each team. And so they lost in the quarters to the upstart Slovaks. But in terms of Haltonen, so he is a six foot three right wing. He's also very young for this draft class. He turns 18 on June 7th, just a few weeks before the draft. So that's kind of fun. Most outlets have him kind of as probably a second to th maybe third rounder elite prospects very low on him have him at 71 they have some as high as 19 which is recruit scouting Dauber prospects has him as 37 so of course that's the correct one and uh haltonen <laughs> uh, split time between the liga and the u20 sm saria he was dominant at the U20s, but had just one assist in 27 games. 
At this tournament, he captained Finland and it was just about all their offense. He had 10 points in five games and uh, he looked really good. In terms of his hockey prospecting, he doesn't look super exciting. Kind of looks more like a replacement or average level producer. Redeem Verbata is one comp that he looks a bit like. But in terms of how he looked and, and more details on Casper Halton, I'm going to flip it to you, Sebastian. Yeah, Halton is really fun. Um, he is a sniper uh he is big he shoots very well one of his strengths is finding soft ice in the offensive zone he he employs good off puck movement typically he lacks dynamism he isn't perhaps a great playmaker but he has a foundation that i think makes for a pretty clear nhl projection in a middle six his uh, production in the league is actually really funny because he only has had that one assist in the 20, 27 games, I think you said. But <laughs> he he was dominant in terms of actual driving metrics. One of the great things with being at Dauber is that I have access to instat advanced stats. And one of the funniest the like tidbits of stats I found from any player was on Haltonen. And in his like 20 plus Liga games... When he was on the ice, over 50% of his team's expected goals came off of his shots, despite him scoring zero goals. He had like at least five expect individual expected goals for in those games and scored zero times. The likelihood of that happening is very, very low. Basically, what, what it's saying is that he was snake bitten at the pro level, despite creating a decent amount with his shot. And... That is promising, especially for a player as young as he is in this draft class. And I think that this tournament uh, has, I guess, solidified, at least in my mind, what I was seeing of him in both the Liga and in in the U20 in Finland, which which was a a raw, fairly unidimensional sniper who is very, very good at the one thing he does. And I think that he has a relatively complete toolkit to be a finisher. He won't be a high-end puck carrier. He won't be dynamic. I don't think he should be relied on in transition. But he is a really capable goal scorer and has the size, the physicality, the shot, the off-puck movement, the instincts to actually leverage that goal scoring ability which to me projects quite well especially given his later birthday for the draft class and yeah th- th- this tournament was a very strong one for Halton and I mean two points a game is is impressive enough as it is let alone on a very weak finish team like this finish draft class is 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 exceptionally weak uh, compared to what what we've been used to for finished products the other draft eligible out of Finland that are of interest would be for instance Lenny Haminaho who we at Dauber have had quite a few debates on E2, uh, who was the previous head scout and is finished and watches a lot of the Finns, likes Haminaho a decent amount. I am a lot more skeptical on him. So there, there, there is some internal debate on him. And there's another, another player that I kind of like called Emil Kusla as like a late round swing. The same thing with like Artu Karki, who's a kind of fun offensive defenseman out of, out of Finland. But Halton is quite clearly the top the top finished draft eligible this, this year, in, in my view. And in terms of consensus rankings as well. And I think this tournament, at the very least, should entrench him as the top finished draft eligible. Definitely. And I think what you said is really important too. I, I put a lot of stock when these players are super young. And since he is so young, I feel like maybe there's a little bit more runway to refine his goal scoring. Like you said, I don't think this is ever going to be a transition player. 
but maybe he can improve his playmaking, some of his vision. He didn't have a whole lot to work with, so maybe you're not going to get a lot of assists. But, you know, in terms of adding more playmaking, adding more deception to his game, maybe there's a little bit of runway there, right? Because he's so young. For sure. There definitely is more runway with Haltonen than, than there is for other prospects in this draft class. At the same time, I don't know if his game is exactly conducive to developing a multi-prong approach to offense in terms of like developing like significantly on the vision or the playmaking. I think if those developments come, it would be against the odds if it happens. But I do think that a, a team that develops intelligently can leverage the goal scoring ability and and could 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 get a really valuable middle six sniper like Halton is not going to be your first line sniper who's scoring you 50 goals a season and that's totally fine I think he's likely going to be picked between 25 and 35 and he will be projects in my view as a future well in terms of ceiling not in terms of likelihood necessarily but in terms of ceiling I think you could reasonably expect a 25 goal guy in middle six minutes so you're getting something of significant value there if it pans out and I think one of the interesting things in this draft class is especially in that like 15 to 50 range it's really tight it's really, really tight. And and you see that in, in basically every ranking of there isn't really a consensus in that range. There's a ton of, of variation for, for that group of players. And uh, Halton is right in that mix. So I, I think you could you could justify the pick as high as 20. And I think it I could understand why he would fall as far as like 45. So I think he goes anywhere in that range in the draft, but it will be down to development. He needs to further improve on the on the offensive sense. I think that is the thing that I would most want to work on with him because the shot's already really good. He's just he, he's been terribly unlucky in the Liga and that happened, I guess. And that's that's fine. But we saw at the tournament here, like he's scoring goals, right? It's not a thing that he can't score. It was just a thing if he was snake bitten against pro competition but he's also he was 17 the entire season so not scoring at the age of 17 isn't the end of the world in a pro league even if the liga isn't the strongest pro league but yeah so halton definitely has a longer runway and i wouldn't pick him in the first round likely he's not ranked in my first round i can totally understand the arguments to have him in there and this this tournament was a strong one for him so this tournament in no way would have hurt his draft stock why i'm always a bit tentative in terms of of letting a single tournament drastically affect a player's ranking on my board for a single small sample tournament. I do think that Halton's draft stock did rise in this tourney. All right, let's move on to the next guy. Czechia, Czechia team who has a very obvious top prospect as well. And Czechia lost in the quarterfinals to the U.S. But uh, we're talking, of course, about Edward Schale, S-A-L-E, if you're scoring at home. Perhaps not quite as impressive as Haltunen, but Schale and his Czechia compatriots. He had six points in those five games. He, oh, I should mention, he's the six foot one right wing. He's also fairly young for this class. He just turned 18 about six weeks ago. So the rankings have him as a pretty consensus first round pick. The Lee Prospects has him pretty late at 27. Dauber Prospects have him at 28, which is the low one. And yeah. his numbers, uh, they've, they they were pretty impressive. His last U18s, he had nine and six. He also had six points in seven games at the U20 tournament. And then in this most recent tournament, he had six points in five games. So yeah, internationally he looks great. But the the issue that you that you're that you're already hinting at is that in his in his domestic league. HC Cometa Berno for in Czechia, 14 points in 43 games. 
at the pro level is not as exciting, which puts his hockey prospecting and NHL equivalency pretty low. He he also looks again like an average producer. The the best the the most realistic comp that I found was Colin Wilson, who's very average NHLer. So that's not so exciting. But maybe you can speak a little bit to this discrepancy because when you watch him at international tournaments against his peers, he looks pretty great and then and really exciting at times, really dynamic. And then in the domestic league, he kind of looks uh, very vanilla. What do you think about Edward Schalle? Schalle is a player that spooks basically every scout I know. He is ultra risky. Again, he's he's flashed brilliance in some international tournaments. I didn't think he was great in this U18s, but I thought he was incredible at the 2022 U20s and even at the U18s last year as well. This season, he's been really frustrating to watch. Edward Schalle his brain goes 100 miles an hour. He can outprocess most players in this draft class. He can think uh, extremely quickly. He can find certain passes or 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 certain instances of of soft ice opening up in the offensive zone that very few players can spot and he can. At the same time, the engagement is consistently extremely low. The physicality is a real concern. Like, yes, he's six foot one. He is also one of the least physical players in this entire draft class. He gets consistently bullied off of pucks against pro competition. He really needs to add a lot of muscle to keep up, let alone to to be a, a positive physical piece in a hockey lineup. That being said, he's a decent enough skater, but his feet don't quite keep up with the pace of his brain. He hasn't quite learned to slow down his brain to better, I guess, use his tools. He can become quite static in the offensive zone where it just kind of stands in one spot at even strength or in the power play and just waits for the puck to get to him. And then he kind of starts improvising rather than planning ahead, which is also a concern. Basically what I'm saying is Edward Charlotte, I could, I can understand the argumentation of ranking him anywhere between 15 and 50. Edward Shala is just outside my first round on my personal board, but that could shift. Shala is one of the players that I'm going to have to do a deep dive on before the draft, because for every scout, there are always players that like understand pretty quickly of like, you understand how they play. Edward Shala is interesting because he has some high level tools. He's improved his shot this year. He is a decent passer. I think he has a high offensive ceiling. He could conceivably be a top six winger who can put up, maybe 70 points if you if you luck out with him, which is a very important piece to add to your lineup. At the same time, I think there's a really realistic possibility that he never becomes an impact player in the NHL whatsoever. So Shala is one of those, in my view, boomer bust players. But again, I, I do need to delve deeper into him just because despite having the same amount of viewings on him as I have with other players that we will discuss today, he's one that I'm still a lot more uncertain about just because he has a more difficult game to pin down, at least for me. Yeah, sounds super risky for me and super frustrating to watch. Let's let's go move on to the next one. And we can always compare and contrast a little bit too, because this guy's also kind of interesting. And this is the top Slovak, and that's Dalibor Dvorsky. Slovakia lost in the bronze medal game to Canada. Oh, they thought they'd won it. And then Canada tied it up and won in overtime. But Dvorsky, really young for this draft. He's still 17. He'll be 17 for almost another six weeks as we're recording this. So he played his whole draft season very young. And he's a six foot one, 200 pound forward. He's ranked as high as third by EU Central Scouting. Next highest is recruit scouting at eight. Smart scouting has him at 18. And we have him over at 17. So kind of pretty consensus, uh, high to middle of the first round. 
He played his draft season in Sweden for AIK, partially at the J20, but mostly at the Hockey Svenskan level, because that's where AIK was. They didn't make it very far in the promotion playoffs. They got kind of smacked by Moto, who earned their promotion back to the SHL. So they were a pretty strong team. And at the U18s, he's been uh, he's been basically going into beast mode. He's he's the reason that Slovakia did what they did, in my opinion. Maybe you'll tell me some difference, Sebastian, but that's what I saw. 13 points in seven games. It wasn't just the points, though. He was he was really a force out there. His hockey prospecting has his star potential at 54 percent, really high. He's got some really nice comps, guys like Patrick Marlowe, Matt Barzell, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Jacob Voracek. I think uh, Rick Nash is someone he looks a little bit alike in the model. Obviously, this would be an amazing outcome for this player. All of these would be really amazing outcomes for this player. But Sebastian, tell us what you've seen from Dalibor Dvorsky in this tournament and in his draft season. With the hockey prospecting, I'd be very curious to see just how heavily weighted his J20 performance was because he only played like 13 games in the J20. That is a tiny sample to work off of, right? So I think if you're working off a star potential off the 13-game junior sample in Swedish junior hockey, I'd be a bit hesitant to to, to put too much weight on that. But he produced very well at the junior level because he plays a very pro-level game, and that dominates in Swedish junior hockey. He's built, like he's 200 pounds, six foot one. He's very, very sturdy. He can win physical battles. He has decent physical mechanics in terms of establishing leverage and and even like winning battles against stronger and bigger opponents. He is very responsible defensively. It is, to me, the biggest strength in his game as a holistic component is his defensive game. And he has a rocket of a shot. So that gives you a basis of a very interesting foundation for a player. My concern is that that is kind of where it stops. Dvorsky is not a dynamic puck carrier he is a relatively poor passer uh, whether that be playmaking in the offensive zone or passing in transition he is basically just limited in those like really really high-end things even as a goal scorer he has a great shot like a really wicked shot he's not as good at setting up his shot or to deceptively get into shooting lanes with the puck as some of the other snipers in this draft class are, which is why I'm putting a bit less weight into his goal scoring as I am for others. Like I think that players like Kobe Barlow and Matthew Wood have higher goal scoring potential than Dvorsky does, but Dvorsky's defensive game is what elevates him up my board because I think you are getting a pretty much slam dunk third line center with Dvorsky where you are getting that guaranteed important asset for a contending team and also why I think he makes a ton of sense for a team that wants to contend with in the near future, because he is going to be ready to play NHL minutes within a year or two. To me, he's kind of stylistically different, but has some resemblances to Marco Casper last season, who developed incredibly as a D plus one. But that can also be said that he was in Detroit's system and Detroit develops their Swedes like no other team can. But he's very interesting. And his his U18s was excellent. I didn't watch every game of his. I watched a game of and a half. Uh, and 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 they were probably my best viewings of the year, which is also why I'm a bit hesitant of catapulting him up my board, just because a lot of people are now like, oh, he's a slam dunk top 12 prospect because what they saw at this tournament is night and day to a lot of what we saw throughout the season. At our pre-U18 ranking meet at Dabber Prospects, we had a pretty long conversation about Dvorsky and where we wanted to have him. And I can tell you, none of our scouts were enthusiastic. He is the safe candidate here at 17, and we, we think he should go here just because he has that, that, that high defensive floor. He's young for the draft class. He has that shot to build off of, and we're, we're betting on that runaway. 
at the same time, there are players that we rank lower that we're a lot more excited by and and perhaps more enthusiastic with. The U8 teams will affect that for sure. So I'm curious to kind of see how that consensus within the Dauber team changes uh, by the time we make our final rankings in June. And I know that my own opinion has at, at the very least shifted slightly. I can't say it's been drastic just yet, but it has shifted a little bit. But he's very interesting. I just, I don't see top line upside whatsoever. I think you're getting a high likelihood 3C who has a shot at being a 2C. And that's kind of where it caps out. So if you're drafting that in the middle of the first round, you are very happy with that. That is that is a solid pick, especially if you're a, a soon-to-be contender. But if you're picking that player like top seven and you're passing on names like Mitchkov or Benson or Smith to pick him, I think that is a huge risk just based on his... He, he's not a well-rounded offensive player. He has his shot and that is his offensive piece. And I think if you are making that bet inside the top 10 in a draft class as strong as 2023 is, I'd be very hesitant to do that. I think it, it is very likely to happen, especially with his U18s. I think he will be a top 10 pick at the very least. I wouldn't be the one making that bet personally. Yep, that sounds very fair. I remember thinking Dvorsky throughout because he he had a, a decent tournament previously. And I remember thinking like, okay, this guy's kind of interesting. And then being really kind of disappointed throughout the year with with what he, you know, what he was doing at the Elsvenskin. But yeah, opinions can really shift and sometimes shift too much with one strong tournament. But that's some really good perspective. On Dvorsky, I think it's time that we turn it over to Pete though, because he's been itching to talk about his Canadian boys over there. Yeah, so let's do that. Let's let's talk about Team Canada. They go into every international tournament with their sights set on the gold, but came up short. Played in the bronze medal game and had a just a fantastic game. I, I hope you were able to to watch that game, everyone that's listening, because it was a goodie. I guess you know they won the bronze, but the silver lining of the tournament for Canadian fans was the emergence of 16-year-old Macklin Celebrini. Perhaps not very well known across the country as he is only 16 years old and he plays in the USHL for the Chicago Steel. So he's not in any of the CHL leagues. 5'11", 181. So for a 16-year-old, that's decent size. There's there's still room to grow there. His performance in the USHL this season has been fantastic. He's almost a goal a game player with 48 goals in 50 games and 86 points. So that's pretty impressive. He's got popping counting stats there. He'll be playing in the NCAA next season at the Boston University with the Terriers. And he is eligible for the 2024 entry draft. So not this draft coming up, but the following one. What I saw from him in this tournament, Sebastian, was he seems to be a very cerebral player. He thinks the game really fast. He's got quick feet, quick hands, and he can put himself in positions to exploit those attributes very well. I think he sees the ice at a, a high-end level, at an elite level at the age group that he's playing against right now. Uh, and how that translates up through the pro ranks. Uh, he's got some time to continue to improve that and develop that, but that will remain to be seen. He's got a great shot. I really love how he shoots from anywhere. I saw him score a goal from behind the net where he banked it off the goalie's ear and in the net. That kind of swagger and confidence and the ability to pull it, like just to think of, of making that play 
in that tournament as a 16 year old. Right. And then to be able to pull it off as well is very impressive. His one timer cam said on Twitter that his one timer is a cheat code. He looked like uh, the next Ovechkin hanging out there on the power play on the circle and just cranking one timers and blasting it by the goalie a couple times. He banks pucks off goalies from behind the net scores in a variety of ways. I I'm really impressed with him. And, you know, he set some records at this tournament for, for Canada for scoring. And if he were eligible in this year's draft, I'd be really curious to see where he would plot in there. I mean, it's kind of putting you on the spot a little bit to say where you think he'd be because you spent so much time combing through the players that are eligible. But off the top of your head, what were some of the the standout things that you noticed from him in this tournament? And obviously he's a, a top prospect for next year's draft and there's a lot of hockey to play between now and then. But where are you seeing him slotting in? I think if he were eligible in this draft class and we were able to take into account the fact that he's young for his own draft class, I would say that it would be a conversation at two with Fantilli. His his season in the as a D minus one one with Chicago was significantly better than Fantilli's, and he's almost an entirely entire year younger than Fantilli was at that time because Fantilli is one of the older players in this draft class and Celebrini is young for his. At the same time, Fantilli's season in the NCAA has just been so bonkers, ridiculously good. That is a tough thing to make, to, to, to argue at the same time. But I think there'd be a conversation there for sure. The name of the game with Celebrini is versatility. He can do so many things, as you pointed out. He is incredibly intelligent. He finds space very, very well in the offensive zone. Uh, he has an explosive first two steps. He can really attack that that open space. He's just as good of a playmaker as he is a goal scorer. And the shot is disgusting, especially off a of one-timer. It's been a joy to watch uh, him and Jaden Perron connect with Chicago this year. Perron is one of my favorite playmakers in this draft class. So seeing those two play together was was a joy when they, when they did share uh, minutes at five on five especially in the first half of the season. And he, he's very, very good. He, he also flashes some impressive moments of intensity uh, on the forecheck or the back check. He did it all for Canada. He was true 1C on that U18 team. And, and they trusted him in most situations. They didn't play him too much on the PK, I don't think. But apart from that, he was playing defensive five-on-five five situations well. He was their go-to guy offensively as a 16-year-old, which and a young 16-year-old at that. Like he, he's, he is young for his draft class. So to have that, that trust for Team Canada of all teams is really telling of, of, of how highly he's valued internally. And... Oh, his development next season is going to be so much fun. Him and Lane Hudson at BU is going to be a blast to watch. That's one of my, it's one of the partnerships I'm most excited to see in the NCAA next season. And yeah, like Celebrini is excellent. He is probably the front runner to be the first overall pick in the 2024 draft class. Cole Iserman is is a, another very, very good candidate for that. James Higgins should, but he's somehow 2025 eligible, which is stupid considering how good he is already. So lots of fun prospects uh, that, that that are not even draft eligible yet were at this tournament and and they basically all like really showed up and and dominated against players that were one to two years older than, than they are yeah he was a real standout for me and i thought he was clearly canada's best player that's an interesting point you make watching him at at bu with with lane hudson another player that stood out to me in this tournament was his younger brother cole hudson he was who, so good 
I'm pretty confident he's going to be pretty high up my board, just like Lane was. The skating ability with Cole is, is a significant step above Lane as well, the same age. And the, the defense is more chaotic, which is saying something, considering we're talking about Lane Hudson as the comparable here for defensive ability. But <laughs> oh, the raw skill is really impressive. Right. So sticking with Canada players, though, and and within the NCAA, the next guy I wanted to bring up would be Matthew Wood. You know, it's hard for people in Canada watch much NCAA games and and UConn doesn't get on TV very much either. But Matt Wood is 6'3", 190. So for an 18 year old, he's got really nice size. And he, you know, he, he flashed that muscle at the U18s this tournament as well. For a true freshman, he has an impressive season going on here with 35 games and 34 points, 11 goals and 23 assists. So that's a nice little healthy stat line for a freshman. Like I mentioned before, the scouting season starts with the Halenka, and he was a point of game player there as well for Canada with five points in five games. He's ranked 22nd in the consensus rankings and Dauber Prospects has him at 33. So we had him outside the first round and i wanted inside the first round i'll make that be known that i wanted him at 32 <laughs> on the fantasy ranking article that came out earlier in this year that you contributed to as well he was ranked 22nd so right in line with the consensus rankings so i'd be interested to pick your brain as to what the difference between the fantasy ranking and the nhl rankings might be with him keeping in mind that you know he's a good size power winger matthew wood has nice size a good shot so what did you see at matt wood in this tournament sebastian and how do you balance his his nhl value versus his fantasy value because it seems like his nhl value is is higher than his fantasy would be yeah it's interesting matt wood is one of the more interesting case studies in this draft class to me just because he has some of like the most drastic extremes within his game he has a blistering shot he has honestly gotten like he's improved his playmaking game to a an actually above par level he's integrated a lot more delays into his rushes he uh he, he has just expanded that area of his game to the point where he's not just a unibit a unidimensional goal scorer anymore and his handling ability is also very impressive at the same time he is the second worst skater i have ranked in my top 64 the stride is rough with a capital R, like it's 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 painful. It's it's bad. It can be a thing that that keeps players from cracking the NHL in an impact role. At the same time, I think Matthew Wood has developed enough adaptive skills to overcome, at the very least, at the NCAA level. Like Matt Wood knows exactly how to avoid situations where he has to rely on his skating in the NCAA. I think I'd bet on that translating to the NHL, but it's it's far from a guarantee. He is relatively intelligent in the offensive zone. He can find soft ice decently well. And again, he, he has been growing his, his offensive toolkit as the season has progressed, which has rocketed up my personal board. Like he started out at like 55 for me. Like I was really low. Uh, but then as he improved the playmaking and the handling and became more of a cohesive package as a, of a player, I became a lot more, I guess, open to his value as a first round talent. But yeah, in terms of balancing fantasy and NHL projection, it's kind of tough just because if he plays in the NHL, he's going to score goals in some way. Like if you play him on the fourth line and give him like PP two minutes, he's going to get you like 15 to 20 goals uh, just by that. Like he, he, he will get you points in some manner at the same time. He is not at all engaged off puck defensively. 
He can be quite passive off offensively as well. The entire defensive game can be quite rough for him in, in my viewings. So I know that is not entirely consensus opinion. So take that with a slight grain of salt, perhaps. But yeah, he, he is very interesting. And it's more of a thing of balancing these extremes within his game to kind of just see how... Like, how would I bet on him projecting? And I, I still don't quite know, though I do think the upper end of his upside is quite clearly Tyler Toffoli. Tyler Toffoli plays a weirdly similar game to Matt Wood at the same age. Toffoli developed a better defensive game as he played pro hockey, which Wood could still do. They're both really poor skaters that really lack that separation speed. Both have very, very good shots that are perhaps not like the most powerful ever but are wickedly accurate and and they get off their sticks really quickly and both have also grown out of like a sniper i guess identity to develop more playmaking game as well so i think Toffoli is kind of the upside you're looking at and considering that that Toffoli put up 70 points this season on a bad calgary team that is a really high end up upside in my opinion so i think that's what you're aiming for if you develop a matthew wood but it's risky as well. Take Haltonen and Shala and Wood, for instance. Those three guys, you could probably convince me to rank them in any order, and I wouldn't be too averse to it, just because they all have inherent risks. They all have either super high-end upside and extremely low floor, or just that, that with Haltonen, for lack of that, that top-line upside. All these guys are in the same range for me. They have this offensive upside that is really impressive, and, and they have the intelligence as well to accompany it, which is very important for me in my own evaluations. But there are significant red flags to kind of counterbalance those. Matthew Wood, I could, like, I'm expecting him to be a top 20 pick despite the skating because of his size. Even though I don't think he is really a power forward, I think like power forwards need to rely on a certain base of skating ability to actually leverage their size and power to become an effective power forward style of player, at least for the modern NHL. And Matthew Wood lacks that. So I see him more of like a dual threat offensive piece who can sh shoot and pass rather than a power forward. But he is very big. But I don't see that translating into a power role like a, a Ryan Leonard, for instance, who is a lot smaller, but has that intense, innate power that very few hockey players have. That's very interesting. A couple of things he said in there that kind of stand out to me that resonated were the knock on him is his, his skating, but his offensive upside is is very good. There's been a number of players who went undrafted or or fell down draft he's rankings. Also quite, he's also quite quite raw offensively. I think I'll, I'll add that to the point just to make it seem like it's not just the skating knocking him down on my board. Of he is also quite raw and he's trying to put all those things together and he's become more cohesive as the season has progressed. But even still, he is one of the more raw players that, that we are talking about in the first round. And I'll just I'll just add that in before we get comments saying you're just knocking him down for skating when right. skating really is not up high up in my in my like priority list for player evaluations. Well, it's a it's a deal breaker for making it to the NHL, but you know, not being a good skater at 18 years old doesn't mean that you won't be an NHL average skater when you're 22 and you want to make it. If if we took the name Matt Wood out of all of the context of what you were just saying, a lot of that would apply to Jason Robertson when he was 18. You know, he was a very raw player. He had a lot of of offensive upside, but he he was a god awful skater. He looked like he was wearing ski boots and not skates in some nights. It was just brutal. 
Yeah, for sure. I think like I don't think that Robertson can be even like, like a realistic pipe dream for Matt Wood. That's like, an extreme like, outlier example. He is right. Like he broke every single pre-existing mold, just like Mort Sider did, which is why I'm perhaps a bit more hesitant with like David Reinbacher being a top 10 talent of just using a single case of precedent as your main argument. But yeah, Matt Wood's really fun. I think he'd be an especially good pick for a team that is very confident in their development staff because he does have that long way to go. So if a team like Detroit, for instance, is very confident in their development or Carolina, for instance, as well, I think teams like that would be very enticed by Matthew Wood just because he does have that longer runway and he does have a higher ceiling but he has a lower floor as well. So there's a, a lot of different, I guess, variables there to balance. But but yeah, he, he makes a lot of sense in that. Like I think in the 20 range is completely fair for Matt Wood. I yeah. think if you're if you're going higher than that, you are perhaps passing on players with a comparable upside and a higher floor. Yeah, another characteristic that reminds me of Robertson is they both have good size, but neither of them use it particularly aggressively or effectively. I mean, they use it to protect the puck, all right, but they could do so much more with that weapon that they have. Another player that on Team Canada I wanted to uh, swing in on is Colby Barlow. And here's a guy who's got the similar sort of size, 6'1", 185. And he uses it to his advantage a lot more. He plays in the OHL for Owen Sound. He's been ranked as high as eighth by the Hockey News. Consensus ranking has him at 14. We have him at 22. And the fantasy rankings had him at 19. I've seen him live a couple of times. And, you know, he's a play driver at the OHL level. And he uses his size to his advantage to drive the puck up the ice and towards the net. And he's... A bit of a freight train sometimes playing against OHL competition. And that advantage is going to be significantly diminished when he gets to the pro level. I mean, he's got man size now and man face hair. That'll be balanced out at the pro level. So some other things that, that I looked for to see, okay, what's what's translatable here? He has decent offensive creativity, but he's not... He's not very dynamic, offensive, creative, I, I haven't found. His shot's fine. His playmaking skills are okay. His skating is powerful, but he's not a burner. So is this a player that you see being more effective at the junior level because he's more physically advanced? Or do you see that he would be able to translate that to the pro level, even the AHL or specifically fantasy relevant to the NHL? I think my critique of Barlow is less about translating the power game and more about diversifying his offensive game he is an extremely extremely limited offensive player who has basically two things that he does which is in transition he will solo rush in a linear fashion he he does not incorporate much lateral movement into his rushes he's purely north south and to his skating he is actually quite quick in a linear line but as soon as he needs to actually move laterally to get through defenses or anything he loses that speed advantage by a lot and and he lacks that lateral mobility which i think really affects his his projection as that like power forward and the other thing is he is really really not dynamic i think there's there's a lot of things there that are that he hasn't had to really work on because of physical advantages that he's had at every level. That's my read on Barlow, is that he's been able to rely on his speed, power, and wicked shot to be a very, very, very effective AAA and junior scorer. 
And I think that that he might hit a wall in terms of that style, less in terms of like, like him being a power forward and more about the fact that he is very unidimensional. I think if you can get him to incorporate more effective like offensive threats as a tipping threat or a rebound threat, uh, if he can learn to attack soft ice more effectively and more consistently, that would go a long way. At the same time, look, Barlow was outside my first round at the beginning of the season, and he's risen up to like that 24 range for me. So he has progressed in my view. I think he has diversified a little bit his offensive game. He's, he's not quite as pigeonholed as, as he was before. Like Barlow was exclusively a volume shooter. Every game he would rush up the boards then he would shoot from the edge of the circle and repeat, rinse and repeat. And it would just be save, miss, save, miss. Oh, lucky goal. And then repeat, basically. This season, he has diversified his shooting habits a little bit where he gets a bit closer, which is great, and gets gets more high-danger opportunities as a result. He is really the by far the main shooter on Owen Sound uh, when he's been on the ice, which has been a lot at even strength for Owen Sound because he is also their captain. He has been contributing over 50% of the expected goals from just his shot. And he is one of the only players. It's it's him, Halton, and Mitchkov, the only three that are over 50% in terms of expected goals coming off of their own shots. He shoots a ton. He shoots more than the vast majority of players in this draft class. I also think that the, the U18s kind of showed those limitations a lot more clearly than the OHL draft tape and the OHL tape may have, just because he was surrounded by so much more high-end skill and dynamic skill that his lack of that, that dynamism and that creativity and that play driving that could translate to NHL play driving stuck out a lot more just because he was contrasted with players like Celebrini, who he was on a line with for, that, for, for the tournament. Not that... Celebrini should be the baseline for Colby Barlow because they are two separate tiers of players. But it was a juxtaposition that I think did reveal a decent amount uh, on Barlow that I had seen previously that I think more people are now starting to, to see with him. At the same time, I think he is a perfectly reasonable pick in the 15 to 25 range. He could play in the NHL next year without much issue. He is very, very pro-ready. He has a style that, that that could work at the NHL level. So I think you could plug him in onto a third line as a power forward and finisher next season, and he, he could do it. I'm afraid that he won't progress too much from that point onwards. That is my concern of, of how much more can he become? And, and also, how, how good is his goal scoring as a whole? Not just his shot. His shot is ridiculous. The goal scoring habits as a whole, I'm a bit less convinced by, which is also why he's not higher up my board. Just concerns with the projectability of his goal scoring game as a whole. Because if I were confident in that, that he could be a 35 goal scorer on a consistent basis, I wouldn't really care if he's unidimensional because he'd be doing that thing. And defensively, he's not awful. So he wouldn't be burning you too bad in, the, in his own zone. He's a decent enough forechecker at times, but he is very, very limited with the puck offensively. Of His handling ability is around average, which isn't a knock, but also does limit him a little bit in terms of what he can do and the lanes that he can access for his shots. And the playmaking game, I, I still am concerned with. I think other scouts have seen a bigger increase over the course of the season than I have, but I am still quite skeptical on just how unidimensional the offensive game is with Barlow. But again, I, I think he's he's a perfectly sound pick in the first round, especially past 15, and especially for a contender that wants some, some depth goal scoring on ELC right now.
Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he was a first round pick at the NHL draft and then a first round pick in fantasy drafts as well. Oh, oh he, he's, he's going in the first round. Like, yeah. like, I think there's a way better chance Barlow goes top 10 than he falls out of the first. Colby Barlow's the type of player that Philadelphia will pick sixth overall. And it wouldn't be an awful, awful pick. It would just be a very, very Philadelphia pick. Yeah, I, I like his certainty to to make the NHL. He, I think he's got a, an NHL future and it could be soon too. I, like you said, I don't. I don't think sure. his his game will take that much more maturation before he's ready to step into an NHL roster. I'm just concerned about what his value will be in a fantasy level. Hits he'll get a ton of shots. He will get an absurd amount of because that is what he does is shoot. And depending on the role he's in and how much he can develop his game, the goals will also be very, very big. So there is definitely a lot of peripherals with with Barlow. And I think he'll, in my opinion, he has a higher fantasy upside than NHL upside. All right. So let's let's move on from Canada and let's talk about the team that dispatched them quite easily, not once but twice, and moved on to the gold medal game. And that would be Sweden. And we got to start with their captain, I think. He was their leading scorer. That would be Otto Stenberg, 5'11", 181. Center winger is what he's listed on, on on elite prospects. He's ranked 14th. That's his highest ranking by future considerations. Elite prospects is pretty cool on him. They got him at 50. The consensus is nicely in the middle there at 27. We're a little bit more optimistic than the consensus. Have him at 21. He started his draft year with nine points in five games at the Holinka. He was outstanding for Sweden in this tournament as well, but not so great in club play and league play. So there's league play Otto Stenberg, and then there's international Otto Stenberg. And perhaps you can shed some light on the differences between the production that we've seen in different circumstances this year. I haven't seen as big of a gap there as others have. I, I know Cam Robinson has has like tweeted about, about there being a really big gap there in his viewings. For me, the biggest gap with Stenberg has been between J20 and the SHL. I, I've loved his SHL tape. I think he's been fantastic uh, at the pro level. He has been in my top 15. I mean, he's been at 14 or 15 since January on my own board. So I was the one that was banging the table for him at 21. Stenberg is really fun and he has a ton of tools. He's an extremely toolsy player who didn't really have the reputation of that until this U18s tournament. So I'm very happy that that he's kind of shifted that, that narrative a little bit on himself in terms of his upside at this tournament because I, I've been seeing it for a long time and I'm just very excited that more people are seeing it now because... I, I could have just gotten lucky with the right sample because we can't exactly watch 20 games with every player. But Stenberg is a tremendous skater. He is a high-end handler, uh, very dynamic uh, in transition. He employs a ton of lateral movement. He will switch lanes actively. He uses his teammates very, very well in my viewings when it's not the J20. At the J20, he can be rather individualistic. But in the SHL and at the U18s, he's been been sharing the puck a lot more, which makes him a far more effective player. And I I like him just as much as a, as a playmaker, as a goal scorer. I think there's a ton of upside with Stenberg. I'm more bullish than most people are. So take this with a slight grain of salt, perhaps. But I see him as a, in terms of, of pure upside and not likelihood, I think Otto Stenberg could be a top six forward who can produce 70 points and like 25 goals and and, and just all around be a really dynamic uh, offensive piece 
who consistently gains the zone for you at even strength and on a power play, which is an important thing for a lot of teams that struggle gaining the zone with control in the power play. Like Montreal is god awful at it, and it pains me whenever I watch them. So I think a play like Stenberg could be a great ad for the Habs. He's, he's a lot of fun, and he doesn't sacrifice de- defense either for, for offense, in my viewings. He is quite defensively engaged. I'm not saying that he's going to be a selfie candidate whatsoever. I just, I don't think he's going to burn you defensively. And I think he might be a slightly above average defensive forward if he can keep working on that and chipping away at that, especially if he gets like the next two years playing full-time minutes in the SHL. I think that would go a long way for his defensive game as well. All right. And going back to the fantasy rankings that we did a few months ago, one of the players that a lot of people were more excited about than I seem to be is Axel Sandin Pelica. And so I got a glimpse of of why people are a little bit more excited about him. And it's kind of moved the needle for me a little bit. He was pretty dynamic in this tournament. He's a little undersized at 5'11". He's a right shot D, so we like that. He's consistently ranked between 10 and 20, and he was 10th on our rankings and 11th in the fantasy rankings. So that's a pretty consensus, could be the first defenseman selected in the draft. Lots of sample size in his draft year. A couple of games at the Holinka, five games, two points there, 36 points and 31 J20 games, 22 SHL games. So you're seeing him in a variety of of context playing against his peers playing in junior playing against men at pro and he's looked pretty good across the board and in, in all those those leagues putting up points seven more games at the world junior championship as a two-time underager he excels in offense in particular creating transition he's generating a lot of buzz at the tournament and was and Craig Button, I think, mentioned his name every five minutes in, in the games that I watched. And he's just quite smitten with him. So is it all sizzle or is there some stake to this player as well? And what is the the fantasy impact here? I like Sandy Pelica a lot. He's my second ranked defenseman. I have Dmitry Semeshev as my pretty clear top defenseman in the draft class. Though I I think David Reinbacher is, is by far the most likely defenseman to get picked first in the draft. I think I'd be quite surprised if Sandy Pelica went ahead of Reinbacher, just in terms of 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 size and the his his the, the pro stats and and overall performances. But yeah, he he's he's a ton of fun. I, I like him a lot. Uh he he's around like like 12 or 13 on my board. So not far off at all from Dauber. And yeah, he, he is great in transition, as you said, like tremendous skater, so mobile in all four directions, super adaptable, very strong puck handler, great breakout passer. And he has the best shot of any defenseman in the draft class by a decent margin, in my view. He is a real goal scoring threat from the blue line. And he also has the goal scoring habits to accompany that. He drifts into the high slot and, and into the mid slot even to take his shots rather than shooting from the blue line, which is what something I look for in defensemen in terms of of projecting as as goal scoring defensemen. I haven't quite seen him as a super high end playmaker, perhaps. I see him more as a transition creator, goal scorer, and all-around high-end adaptable distributor rather than perhaps a proactive playmaker, which is also seen in his primary assist per 60 at even strength statistics, both at the J20 and in the SHL. But he has high upside. There is a chance that, that you get a 20 goal, 55 or 60 point defenseman here of, of like, there is super high upside here for defensemen. At the same time, I, I, if I had to bet, I'd say 
probably like 15 goals, 40 points, 45 points is completely realistic. I think he could top out as a number two defenseman rather than a number one. So playing the top pairing minutes, but perhaps anchored down by a more complete and effective defensive partner. His defensive game, he covers a lot of ground with, with his mobility, which is awesome. And and he he's shown flashes of being able to close those gaps very proactively, which I've liked a lot. But the in-zone defending and the, its consistency especially haven't been the biggest strengths. So don't don't look at Sandy Pelica as like a shutdown defenseman. He is a creator. And I, I think like perhaps Rasmus Sandin mold of player perhaps in terms of of, of style and I, I think sending pelica is stronger than sending is i think sending pelica will be a very impactful nhl player now top 10 to me like actually picking him into the, the top 10 i don't think is overly likely and i still don't think i would do it personally I still, I like others, other players' upsides a little bit more. And because sending Pelica is a bet on upside specifically, I'm going to side with the players that could pop even more than, than, than he can. But the U18s was terrific. And aside from even just the first game against Canada, where he put up like, what, five points? He was really, really good in the tournament as a whole. His, his defensive game, I thought, has never looked better than it has at the tournament. And he was just so consistently producing. He was so dynamic in transition, constantly switching lanes, great give and goes with forwards and seeing him pinch up as a fourth attacker, which is all things that you want to see from an offensive defenseman. I think uh, Sandy Palica could be like a Lane Hudson style-ish of defenseman, but I'd substitute some of the playmaking for goal scoring. So I think Sandy Pellick has a higher goal scoring ceiling than Hudson, and Hudson is a better playmaker. And I definitely think there is some stake to the sizzle with ASP. He's electrifying, has a ton of skill. And in the SHL, he's been holding his own. So every time I've watched him against pro competition, he's been more conservative, obviously, which I think has been a systemic thing rather than him just being a conservative player based on everything else that we've seen of him. But he was a, he was an effective SHL defender as a draft year, as an offensive defenseman. So I've been very impressed with his progression this season, and I like him a lot. Nice. All right. So that's some great takes on ASP. Let's uh, let's get Victor back in. We saved the best for last and the gold medal winning team USA and specifically that top line. So, Victor, I'll let you drive the bus with your native USA. Yeah. Do you guys hear that? USA, USA, USA. There we go. We got to we got to soak it up when we can, because uh, I guess in this tournament, US is usually pretty good. But uh, the U20s, it. It really works out as well. So let's soak it in. And we do have some great players to talk about this one, but I'm actually going to zag a little bit on the first player we bring up because I want to talk about Oliver Moore first. He's the probably most unheralded member of this top quartet, if we want to call them. Everyone talks about the top line, but but Oliver Moore is pretty exciting. And he's ranked as high as sixth by elite prospects and our own Dauber prospects and as low as 20th by draft prospect hockey. And as I'm sure you know, Sebastian, he played away from the big three all year. Will Smith, Ryan Leonard, Gabe Perot. And even without uh, the elite line mates that those guys had, Moore put up 1.09 points per game at the USNTDP, which is pretty close to Leonard's 1.65, though pretty far away from Smith's and Perot's 2.1 points per game. But just to be in the neighborhood of those two with having far less to work with is really, really impressive. He's a January birthday, 5'11", 176. 
And at these at this tournament, he didn't have the huge counting stats that those other guys had, but nine points in seven games is still very good. He has a pretty high star potential on hockey prospecting, 48%. Looks like a lot of NHL stars, a couple of busts, but guys like Backstrom, Kadri, Tim Stuchla is a pretty high-end outcome. And, and many are also saying that he's literally the best skater in the draft. So tell us what you think about Moore. Do you agree with him being a great skater? And what did you see from him in this tournament? I definitely think he's the best skater in the draft. I think he's one of the fastest hockey players, period. You put him in a, in a race with the fastest hockey players on the planet right now, and I don't think he finishes below like fourth or fifth. Like he is incredibly quick. He's, he's an absolute burner. And you pair that with really, really mature high-end playmaking ability and a terrific defensive game and just overall extremely high pace. He's very dynamic with the puck, elite in transition, like one of the best in the draft class for sure. And and you get a player that is very exciting. He's ranked sixth on my board. There's no guarantee that, that that'll stick. My top five is pretty solid at this point, but he he could he could end up anywhere between six and like nine for me. But he is at six currently. He has one of the best combinations of floor and upside in the entire draft class. Uh, I think his playmaking is being underrated by a lot of people that are perhaps focusing more on him as like the safe player on, on that team in terms of NHL projection. We hear this comp all the time, every single year, invariably, but I actually think it's quite accurate this time around is Dylan Larkin. I think, I think Dylan Larkin is, is a decently accurate comparable. I think obviously more has in my view, higher upside. Otherwise I wouldn't be ranking him at sixth overall in, in a, class as strong as this one i think more has more electrifying skill at the same age i think he's a better skater even at the same age which is really saying something with uh comparing him to dylan larkin but he's a ton of fun and he's super intelligent he's the type of player that will make scouts and coaches extremely happy (laughs) uh he's really fun to watch for us just because he rarely makes a bad decision he's constantly making plays that are genuinely very very high end that not many players can even spot let alone execute on so doing doing all of that without the support that the that will smith had if more had had like hagan's and eiserman for the entire year i think there's a different conversation here in terms of the top us NTDP player and it wouldn't just be unanimous or relatively unanimous being will smith we do buck that that trend at dauber we had an actual vote between will smith and Oliver Moore at six and seven, and it was a four to three in favor of Moore. So that is the tightest possible margin that you could have imagined between those two. So that could easily flip on our own rankings, but Oliver Moore is a ton of fun and would make a really smart pick for a team that lacks center depth, especially because he is a natural center. I think that there's a decent enough chance that Will Smith ends up on the wing, but Oliver Moore is a slam dunk center, a slam dunk top six future center who has upside as a solid 1C, perhaps not spectacular 1C upside, but we're rank- we're not ranking top five here either. So he's a ton of fun. Yeah, you're getting an NHLer with Oliver Moore. 100%, Easily. I feel Easily. like as well. Yeah, he's super fun and we could we could talk all day about these guys, but I want to shift over to Ryan Leonard now as the next guy on this quartet. He's a really interesting player. I mean, we we could probably have a whole podcast on Ryan Leonard. Let's talk about where he's ranked 7th by Elite Prospect, 25th by FC. Uh you guys have him at 12. 
here at Dauber. One of the things that people will talk about is he's a little bit smaller than the others, 5'11", 180, but he certainly does not play like that. And even though he's the lowest scoring of the big trio of Americans, he might be the most exciting in fantasy of all of them. Depends on the format of the league. He models his games after the Kachuk brothers. He definitely likes to throw his weight around. You don't. You wouldn't think he's 5'11 when you watch him play because he is knocking other people off the puck, knocking people around. A lot of snarl to his game, put up a hit and a half at the US NTDP and 0.7 blocks per game. That is pretty amazing kind of production you're getting from a forward if you're getting that many blocks. He kind of went off on this tournament. At the US NTDB, I mentioned before, he was 1.65 points per game. So great, but certainly not what the other guys, the other two were doing. And in this tournament, he ended up with 2.42 points per game, which is pretty amazing. And most importantly, he will always be remembered for scoring the golden goal that won, won it for the Americans. And, you know, he's he he has a pretty high star potential at over at Hockey Prospecting, 32%. He looks like some stars, you know, guys like Meyer and Landeskog are two that he looks like in this model who also kind of throw their weight around. So I thought those were kind of interesting. So tell us about Ryan Leonard, and can you confirm or deny the rumor that I just made up that he's a long-lost brother of Matthew and Brady Kachuk? Yeah, Leonard is, I don't know if he has that same, like, punchable face as the Kachuk brothers do. He has that innate power that I mentioned before that that very, very few NHL players have of just genuinely just embodying raw power yes he's 5'11 and 180 which isn't big and there are players that are that exact same size and play quite small but ryan leonard is built he is built like a tank and he bulldozes through opponents even against ncaa competition it's been more of the same so i don't see any concern in terms of translatability of his power forward style given his size i think he actually embodies what a modern power forward should do which is also being very, very versatile. Ryan Leonard is a strong skater and is tremendously agile, which is not something that you see often with power forwards, which I think is a really, really enticing tool to have. His shot is disgusting. One of the best combinations of power and accuracy in the entire draft class, for sure. He can score from basically anywhere. He's also a strong passer, not playmaker, but but passer. He, He can pass well in transition and he can hit really impressive like stretch passes as well if he needs to in a breakout and he's just so versatile he's by far the best defensive player on that top line as in smith and perot are negative value defensive players and leonard is a significantly positive value defensive player i think he projects as a real two-way power forward and i think we have that entire foundation that is just so cohesive and and strong and you add in like the fact that his shot is an elite tool and the fact that he is incredibly good at using his shot and getting into positions to most effectively leverage that skill i think you have a really enticing power forward in terms of my own rankings if i were to merge the 2022 and 2023 draft classes it would be pretty close between uh leonard and slavkovsky uh in terms of power forwards like like they'd, they'd be right in the same range of the draft so i think you're getting a a really 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 good power forward in ryan leonard we had him at 12 i have him basically the same spot on my own personal list it's it's less of a thing of oh he's not good enough to be a top 10 pick it's 
he's a 2023 eligible and is suffering in his draft stock as a result. Other players are just butting in ahead of him that have perhaps higher end upside, whereas Leonard isn't perhaps a play driver. He is more of a secondary offensive piece than, than, than the primary one. The US NTDP line, I think one of the reasons that works so well is that you have that clear, like the, the very, very clear roles of Will Smith is the primary offensive driver, just the pure embodiment of skill. Then you have Ryan Leonard as a secondary piece, who is just a tremendous sniper and power forward. And then you have Gabe Perot, who is the tertiary piece, a very, very clear tertiary piece, but his level of intelligence allows them to absolutely dominate junior competition. The translatability of that, I think, is is a bigger question mark than with his line mates. But yeah, it's it's, it's a fun line, and they they really do complement each other just about perfectly. And it's so exciting to me that they're sticking together. At at least they're going to get together to to Boston College next season. And I think if you if you don't keep that line together as like the second line or the first line for Boston College next year they'd be making a great mistake because the type of chemistry that they have is very, very rarely found. For sure. That seems like a really dumb idea to break them up. And also you never take my bait. I clearly laid out the Kachuk brother thing for you and you just, you just didn't want to do it. I I know that's fine. Punchable face, I think is a pretty important like (laughs) category for, for the Kachuks though, isn't it? I think it is. Well, we see what Matthew's doing now. And I, I think just the, the idea of what a, what a unique, player Leonard is maybe he's not on that level but and kind of what you alluded to and what I think of him too is he kind of will do whatever you need at that moment he'll he'll make a hit he'll make a defensive stop he'll score a goal he'll do whatever you need and that's a that's a really terrific type of player which is very unique as you already preluded to the next player Gabe Perot that I wanted to talk about because he is for sure not that player um he's a very interesting player different in many ways he is a 5'11 right wing and he's a little bit um smaller also too than letter just in terms of weight 165 pounds he's also a bit younger he's a um gonna turn 18 in a few days as we're recording this may 7th and he's ranked as high as 11th by tsn craig button as low as 41 by recruit i think this was all pre <laughs> pre-tournament because this tournament certainly helped him in many in many ways at dauber we had him at 29th he is the son of Yannick Perot and the brother of Ducks prospect Jakob Perot. And like his brother, he's more of a goal scorer than his father, who was you know more of a two-way defensive guy. And he obviously had an elite playmaker and scorer on his line, and that certainly helped him. I think the argument's going to be just how much did it help him and how much can Gabe Perot, Gabe Perot do on his own? It's going to be a difficult question to answer. If you look at hockey prospecting, he had just a historic season and he's up to 53% chance of being a star. He has wild comps, guys like Yarmir Yager, yeah. which I think is not going to happen. Um, and probably one of the most volatile guys, I would say, to draft. So Sebastian, he's, he's definitely one of these high variance guys. He has huge true believers to massive skeptics, but you can't deny the numbers. So what do your eyeballs tell us about Gabe Pro? B. Perot is one of the best junior players in this entire draft class. I, I don't think any scout is denying that. He has perfected the art of dominating junior competition, which is really impressive. And it's down to his brain. Uh, he processes the game better than basically everyone in the draft class, barring like Bedard and Jaden Perron is up there, I think. I, I, there's, a, there's a few more names in that conversation, but... 
but Perot really is up there in terms of just like the most impressive like offensive hockey sense players. Interestingly, even though the, the stat line does indicate that he is kind of a sniper, that isn't at all his style. He is a pure playmaker rather than a goal scorer. He scores his goals by just constantly being at the right spot at the right time. He constantly scores rebounds. He constantly creates odd man rushes and advantages by joining in the rush and, and just tapping in the goal rather than, than beating a goaltender Frank. His shot is comparable to either of his landmates uh, of, of Smith or Leonard in terms of of being able to score against a goalie one-on-one and him and Shala are probably like the two guys that I most have to like delve into and like just do a really deep dive on to like fully pin down because I still haven't pinned down pro in terms of projection. I know exactly what he is as a junior player, but the big question with him is how does this translate? Because he is a significantly sub- subpar skater in my book. I know there's some disagreement there, uh, especially recently, but he can skate quite quickly in a straight line, but that is mainly due to a high stride rate. His stride itself is rather choppy. It doesn't get great stride extensions to, to really amplify that power and the agility and, and adaptability and you know, high center of gravity. All those are issues. And you combine that with a real lack of physical tools, doesn't have a very strong upper or lower body to win puck battles. So there's a lot more question marks with Perot. And and to me, he's very, very clearly like the tertiary piece on that line, as I was alluding to when I was talking about Leonard, of Perot rarely carries the puck on that line. He gets the least puck touches. He doesn't touch the puck as much as his linemates do. However, he gets a lot of those finishing chances chances by just being at the right place at the right time because he consistently outthinks junior level defenses because he is very, very intelligent. And he's a strong playmaker. I think his playmaking is a real strength, especially from the perimeter. He spots passing lanes very, very effectively. He can hit them with tremendous precision. If I were to develop him, I would focus, I think, on the playmaking and try to build up his physical tools and his skating. Those would be my, my like my three points of, of progression that I think would make the biggest difference in his projection as an NHL player. But he is very divisive because, yes, he, he he's broken records at the US NTDP with his production, and that, that shouldn't be ignored. At the same time, I think it needs to be contextualized with the situation, which is he is on a perfect line. Like this is the best junior line that I've seen in the last like three, four years is Smith, Perot, and Leonard. They complement each other perfectly. And it is all in all a perfect situation for Perot to succeed. And of course, he's playing a big role in that success. I'm not saying that he's not. I just do think that he is the tertiary piece on that line, which I, I think does carry some weight as well. He's fascinating. I, I want to love him because high IQ, undersized players, that is like as totally the type of player that I typically like a lot more than consensus. I think that undersized, intelligent players are consistently undervalued at the draft. I have no idea where he's going to get picked. He could go anywhere between like 12 and 45, and it wouldn't shock me too much, just like Shala. He is my first round, and I don't rank players in my first round who I don't believe in. So I do like Gabe Rowe, but I am more skeptical than like Scott Wheeler maybe or or or, or other scouts that, that, that I have had conversations with uh, about Perot who are more bullish than I am uh, on him. For sure. Yeah, he's he's really interesting. I know for my money, if I had to pick between these four, Perot would be fourth for me. But the guy that uh, is definitely very interesting and I haven't, I don't think there's too many holes to poke in his game and he's the top guy for me will smith and most outlet outlets have him at fifth or sixth 
Leap Prospects has him down at nine. Diver Prospects is seven. You already talked about the vote between the two. It's it's close. In many ways, I think it depends what you want, what type of player you want. Ian Oliver Moore, definitely not the same type of player exactly. Will Smith is a six foot, 172 pound center. He might be a winger at the next level. We'll see. But he had a historic season at the USNTDP. He eclipsed Jack Hughes's mark of two points per game at the USNTDP. Smith had 2.14. The main difference between the two, just if you look statistically, is that Jack Hughes had an insane D minus one season and Will Smith's was pretty pedestrian comparatively. So he made a huge jump in this one season. And you could, I guess, make the argument that maybe he just had, as you said, the perfect line, the perfect complement of players. And, you know, maybe he isn't quite on the same level as Jack Hughes. Those are interesting discussions that will, I'm sure, be had for many years down the road. But Smith looks like a star. I mean, he, you look, any, any way you kind of look at it, he he looks like a lot of NHL stars. The the comp that they have right now on hockey prospecting is Marion Hosa, who obviously would be a great outcome. If you look at this U18s, he led the tournament 20 points in seven games he came up just one short of Nikita Kucherov's 21 points in seven games and tied Jack Hughes for 20 in seven he was pretty awesome he was he helped set up the game tying goal that took it into overtime a pretty great pass over to Iserman which we'll talk about in a second Um, so tell us about Will Smith Sebastian Jack Hughes, to me, is already a top five NHL player. I don't think Will Smith was going to hit those heights. Uh, I think if we're looking at the 2019 draft class, I think Trevor Zegers makes a lot more sense as a player comp for Will Smith. They both have that electrifying combination of creativity and ridiculously high-end handling skill and really high-end playmaking. I think Smith is a significantly worse skater than Zegers was in his draft year, but is a better goal scorer. So you have that trade-off there. Both weren't and aren't great defensive players, but are electrifying with the puck and by far at their best with the puck on their stick. So Zegers is kind of the player that that I could envision uh, Will Smith becoming. But I do think the skating needs some work there as well. I think Will Smith, he really lacks separation gear that he doesn't need at the junior level just because he can outthink opponents and he can gain a jump on them and doesn't need to outsprint them. But at the NHL level, that I don't think is going to be the same level of an advantage. So I think working on his skating is going to be a really, really important part uh, in his development specifically. And skating is is workable. It's not easy to it's not not easy to to improve on, but it is workable. It can be t- fine tuned. And I think especially with Smith, it'll be working on his stride mechanics. Uh, his his edge work is already quite strong, which is a great foundation to work off of. He has a decent lateral agility as a whole. It could be improved, but it's not it's not holding him back. But it's the creativity. He's an exhilarating player to watch. He's one of the most exciting players in this draft class. And I can totally understand why some people adore him as a prospect and love watching him uh, because he is just so exciting. And he is likely to go at or five on my personal board he's he's in that seven eight range a bit bit more but i think that's partly me valuing centers a lot it's also about the skating perhaps holding him back a little bit and just other players being ridiculously good as well so he, he's awesome will, will smith is is tremendous i think he's a comparable level of prospect to logan cooley last year so if you're drafting will smith you are getting a tremendous cornerstone for for your franchise moving forward and he's going to be impactful i think the bigger question is is he going to be a top six winger who is super super fun uh but kills you defensively 
Or is he going to be a top six forward, whether that be center or wing, who is electrifying offensively, creates an absolute ton and is generating a ridiculous rate of playmaking. Will Smith is one of the premier playmakers in this draft class and him sticking with his line, I think, at, at Boston College will also optimize the chances of, of him developing as a center. Because if they keep that line together, he is the center of that line. And it will give him NCAA reps for multiple seasons playing down the middle, which I think would go a long way in terms of refining the defensive game, hopefully refining the skating, and I think overall just improving the chances of him sticking down the middle, which will also improve his draft stock. So I think... The case for but for for Smith, Leonard, and Perot for all of them, I am giving them all a developmental like boost by them sticking together at Boston College just because of how ridiculously good I think their chemistry has been. Yeah, that's going to be super fun to watch. Not for all their opponents in college, but uh, it's going to be fun for them for sure. We got one more guy to talk about. We've alluded to him already a couple of times, and that's Cole Eiserman. We had to sneak in another 2024 eligible. He is. 5'11", 192 pounds at 16. He's been 16 this entire year. He doesn't turn 17 until August 29th. He's literally a couple weeks away from being 2025 draft eligible. So this guy is super young. And the season he just had was ridiculous. I mean, he finished uh, third all-time in USHL for points as a 16-year-old. Macklin Celebrini was first, by the way. He also had 20 points in seven games for the uh, Americans, including that that goal that tied the gold medal. In fact, when we watched it, it looked like he tied it, but actually apparently it grazed Terrence, uh, Terrence Carey's body. So technically he got credit for the goal, but it was basically Will Smith and, and Iserman that created that goal tying effort. And Sweden almost won that game, if not for their efforts. Cam, our buddy Cam Robinson tweeted out that Cole Iserman is now in a league of his own among U17 scores at the USNTDB, he had 69 and uh, Cole, uh, Cole Caulfield has 54. So apparently the Coles together are just dominating yeah. this. So that's basically what it comes down to. Behind them are Jack Hughes and Clayton Keller. So those are some pretty good names. But tell us about Cole Eisenman, the way too early, uh, way, one of the top at least forwards in the 2024 draft. He's very, very good. I think at, at least tentatively will is slotting in as like, the second overall candidate behind Celebrini, but is also very much in contention for first. He is a winger, which I think Doc Sunmarks, if you're comparing him and contrasting him to Celebrini, he shoots the puck like very, very few prospects can. I have him down as a nine grade shooter on, on our scale, which goes one to 10 and 10 being best in the world projection. So writing him at nine is basically what, what Cole Caulfield's projection would have been as a shooter as well at the same age, super high-end shooter, He's also a stronger playmaker than Caulfield was at the same age. He passes the puck with tremendous pace, whether that be in transition or it's a playmaker. He's really deceptive, has a great handling, changes angles consistently, flashes some really creative stick handling, uh, does some like between the leg passes that are quite functional in terms of changing angles rather than just being flashy of it. It really does serve a purpose and he's quite practical in that sense, which is always great to see super intelligent offensively he finds a ton of soft ice all in all just ridiculously impressive uh, at this tournament his compete and his defensive ability aren't great but that's something that is the case for most u17 us ntdp players so give him a year and i'm curious to see how those things progress 
But yeah, he, he's awesome. And I, I think he is one of the, the the better goal scorers we've seen in the past five years come through the draft. So though I will note that I think that James Higgins outperformed Iserman at the tournament. I think James Higgins as a 2025 eligible looked absolutely ridiculous in terms of dynamism, adaptability, playmaking, offensive movement, uh, routes to lose pucks, uh, defensive engagement, everything. Uh, James Higgins was, to me, the player that, that surprised me the most at the tournament, which is also mainly down to me being very familiar with all the 2023 eligibles. But every single time I saw uh, Higgins touch the puck, I was I was consistently impressed. So I will, I will throw in that nugget of a 2025 eligible at the end. But the US NDDP this year was a ridiculously good team, and uh, they deserved their gold medal win. This, this, this was a stronger team than last year's, and last year's team lost against Sweden in the final. So I think it's it's quite fair that, that the result was, was flipped this time around. And especially with the amount of talent that they had, even beyond their, their, their top line, which, as I said, I think is the best junior hockey line we've seen in years. It was a very impressive performance by the entire team. Right. So that's a wrap on this episode and all the players we wanted to cover from the U18s. Really, really want to say thanks, Sebastian, for your time. It's pretty late where you are in the world. I think you're over in Germany. So it's like the middle of the night there, man. So I appreciate you still being on Canadian time and talking U18s with us. So everyone that's listening, if you're scoring at home, the last player we just talked about, Cole Eiserman. If you want to look him up, his last name is not like Steve Eiserman. They're not related. They sound similar, but it's E-I-S-E-R-M-A-N. And he is worth looking into. So you can follow Sebastian, our guest, on Twitter at I underscore Sebastian. You can also catch him on his podcast, the Puck and Roll podcast. And most importantly, he is the director of scouting at Dauber Prospects. And he's the one responsible for organizing all our scouts notes and collaborating for our Dauber Prospects draft rankings. He'll have excellent contributions in the Dauber Prospects report, a guide that you can buy on the Dauber site. He'll be detailing, I believe it's over 100 of the top prospects, ranking them for fantasy, talking about who's the best shooter, who's the best passer, all the fantasy information you need on on the draft eligibles. You can follow our producer, the highly talented Evan Sabarin, who deletes a lot of my ums and verbal diarrheas. Follow him on Twitter, at Sabarin91. Victor is the co-host on the show. Give him a follow, at Victor Nuno 12 and don't forget to to subscribe and listen to his podcast as well fantasy hockey life podcast with Jesse severe they do some great stuff if you're you know if you're if you're not as deep into the prospects as this podcast likes to go and and you follow prospects but you want some more NHL content that's definitely the podcast that you want to listen to uh, my name is Peter Harling uh, you can follow me on Twitter at farling phar L-I-N-G. Please listen and subscribe to the podcast, which going forward will now be known as Dauber Prospects Report. Thanks very much for listening, everybody. Enjoy the show. Listen, subscribe, and we'll see you next Thursday. Is that goal regulation size or what? Gee! Oliver! Let's do that hockey. Hockey.